Thanks for tuning in to Walking by Faith. I pray that today's message will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on our app. Merry Christmas! Most people celebrate Christmas or have at least heard about what it is. But do we understand why it really happened? Today, Pastor Duane is diving into the meaning behind Christmas, that is the cross, and how we can truly live heaven on earth. Let's get started. I want to bring a Christmas message today. I'm going to start with uh, a little bit of the Christmas story. And uh, then what I really want to do is not talk to you about what happened, but why it happened. You know, the person who knows why always has a big advantage over the person who knows what. And so often we know the what about Christmas, but we don't know the why about Christmas. What were the results of Christmas? But Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, the angel said to her, you know, you are highly favored. Highly favored. I think it's interesting uh, that in Ephesians, the same Greek word is used when it talks about you being accepted in the beloved. You know, we think about Mary, oh man, she had favor with God. But I want you to know that you have favor with God. It's not just something that that was true about her. It is equally true about you and about me. Now, the angel said to her, he said, you will conceive in your womb. Now, he is speaking about something that is going to take place almost immediately. But then, excuse me, I I missed my, my point here. Not only did he say something that was going to take place shortly, But he spoke a prophetic word to her about the favor that she had with God. So there was something that was present, but then there was something that was going to take place shortly in the future. But then he said, he will reign over the house of David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So there was something in that prophetic word that was present. There was something that was going to take place shortly, and there was something that was going to take place way in the future. Now, so often, this is what happens with you and I. God tells us something. God puts something in our heart, and we're looking for it to happen next week. And some stuff might happen next week, but there might be some stuff that's going to happen next year, and some stuff that's not going to happen for 30 years. And, and we need to recognize that just because God has spoken something to us doesn't mean that it's all going to take place instantly. In fact, if you look at Joseph, God gave him a dream about how he was going to be, uh, how he was literally, he's going to save his people. But it didn't take place right away. 
In fact, it was over 20 years before it begins to take place. Uh, Basically, the same thing happens with David. God shows him he's going to be king. But it's decades later before it comes to pass. And so often, we're looking for something to take place immediately. Now, it's not that God didn't speak to us, but not everything that he says is going to take place this week or even next year. Now, in Luke's gospel, we have an account of Jesus being born. And it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while we were there that the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He said, I bring you great tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, literally, I was listening to a Greek scholar talk about this, and he mentioned, it says, when I bring to you, the word there is to you, you especially, you, you, you. All right? It was like something special for these shepherds. Now, it's going to be for everybody. He said, but I'm bringing you, you especially you. I'm talking to you. Now, the reason for that is really... uh, I think it's kind of simple when we understand what these shepherds were. These shepherds were watching over their flocks, but they just weren't any flocks. They were the flocks that were going to be used in the temple as sacrifices. These shepherds were special shepherds. They were the ones that were watching over the Passover lambs. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. In the book of Corinthians, it says, that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. In the Old Testament, as God's bringing his people out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12, he gives Moses instructions and says, every family, bring a lamb into your house on the 10th day. Keep it till the 14th day. And as the sun sets, take the lamb out, kill the lamb, catch the blood in a basin, stand in front of your house and put a piece of hyssop, a branch of hyssop in that blood and strike above your door and strike on the sides of your door. And then God said this. He said that when the Lord passes through the land and he sees the blood, he said he will not allow the destroyer to come in and do any harm. That was what the type of Jesus did. That Passover lamb protected them. And these men were watching over the future Passover lambs to be sacrificed in the temple. And he says, I'm bringing you news. So what those particular shepherds did is those shepherds went and they inspected literally the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That word was not just for them, But it was for them because he said, it's going to be for how many? For all people. For all people. Well, 
Again, the person who has the why knows more than the person who has the what. But the reason that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the reason that he was born was so that the gospel could come to you and me. Now, the angel said, I bring you, I love that the, the, the Living Bible says, the most joyful news that has ever been announced. Now, what would be the most joyful news? That you won the lotto? That a prodigal child came home? That you got your house paid off? That you were healed? Well, the most joyful news is this. What Jesus told a paralytic. Jesus is teaching in a, in a certain house. And the house is full. And there's people on the outside. And, and a man who's a paralytic, who's on a bed, is carried by four of his friends. And when they try to get in, they can't. So they climb up on the roof and they open a spot in the tile on the roof and they let the man down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. You know, that is the best news that you and I can ever hear, is that our sins are forgiven. That the thing that would separate us from God is no longer there. See, so often what people try to do is they try to be right with God by being good. In fact, our culture tells us just be good. Our culture tells us good people go to heaven. And by the way, the Bible does not teach that good people go to heaven. The Bible teaches forgiven people go to heaven, not good people. So Romans 3 verse 20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, no one has ever been made right with God by being good. You say, why? Because you're bad. <laughs> you just are. Yeah, I know our culture believes that people are basically good. Listen, people are basically bad. All right? Romans 5, verse 20. Somebody says, yeah, but, but I do my best to obey the laws, the rules. Romans 5, verse 20. When, when I saw this for the first see, I was brought up in a church where we read the Ten Commandments every week. And the reason was so that we would try to obey them. And, and we should try to obey them, but it was like, if we could obey them and we would be good, we'd be right with God. But Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that offense or that sin might abound. So the reason for the law is so that you would know you're bad. It was given, why? So that sin would abound. See, if you don't know the law, you can think you're pretty good. But once you know the law, you find, I'm not so good after all. Let me give you this example. How many of you have ever told a lie? Just one. How many of you ever stole anything in your life? Even a pen. Uh, how many ever committed adultery? No. <laughs> Hey, listen, no, 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 listen. This is what Jesus said. He said, if you've lusted in your heart, he says, you've committed adultery in your heart. How many ever? Ah, okay. So, so by your own admission, you're a liar, you're a thief, 
You're a fornicator adulterer. They're listen, right? I mean, those are, those are just three of the Ten Commandments. You're already in trouble. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, it's not just talking about physical death. It's talking about eternal death, separation from God. So when we know the law, then we know what? That we are sinners and that we need a Savior. The law was not given so that you could obey all the rules and say, God, here I am. You are so lucky to have me. The law was given so you'd say, I am in trouble and I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. No one, the Bible says, has ever, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, not St. Francis of Assisi, nobody has ever been made right with God by obeying the law. Because the law came so that you would know you needed a Savior. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Every one of us need a Savior. But the wages of sin is death. So what Jesus did, he came to provide a death. See, he didn't just die for himself. Well, well, we can say this, not just didn't die for him. He didn't die for himself because he never sinned. See, so he supplied a death for you and me. Just like one man, the Bible says, Adam, let sin into the world. One man, one man, one representative man was able to pay for the sin of all mankind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All these things are from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. For God has given... Verse 19, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others. Now notice what it says, that God restored the world to himself. You see, one of the the reasons that Jesus came was to end religion. See, religion is this. It's man reaching to God and saying, God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do this. It's man reaching out to God. But what Jesus did, Jesus is God reaching to man. It's not man initiated, it's God initiated. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So what he was saying is everything that any man tries to do to be right with God is not going to work. It's got to be God reaching to man. So God was in the world, in Christ, restoring the world to himself. And in this phrase, I want you to remember this, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Now, as, as Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, he's left him to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And and this is what he said. He said, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. Now listen to this phrase. Rightly dividing the word of truth. 
rightly dividing the word of truth. See, what Jesus did is he came and he changed everything. Until Jesus came, God was holding men's sins against them because they had not been paid for. How many of you have ever read some stuff in the Old Testament and you're like, woo? God was holding men's sins against them. In fact, the, the Bible says that your sins have separated you from God. But what Jesus did is he came and he paid for those sins. And God is no longer holding men's sins against him. I don't even just say it like this. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything because he came and he was God sending someone to reconcile you and me. He was God sending someone to take your hand and put it in God's hand. See, he came and he paid for what was dividing, separating you and I from God. And God, when Jesus came and paid that price, began to deal with humanity in a totally different way. Everything changed when Jesus came. And and I've had people come to me and say, well, what about this back in the book of of Numbers? And, And what about this that happened in the book of Kings? And this is what I say, all right? Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus changed everything. Because Jesus came and took sin out of the way. He came and took sin out of the way. God is no longer holding or counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Uh, I remember being down on division, witnessing to some people that were on, on the street down there. And some Christians came by and in a car and they're screaming out of the car. You're going to hell! Terrible! Now, now, how many of you know that that is not good news? In fact, the word gospel not only means good news, it actually means almost too good to be true news. The thing of it is, it is true. It is true that God is no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. The reason for Christmas, the reason for Jesus coming was so that he could come and restore us to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that ever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He so loved the world. Uh, we, we typically say that in the Greek language, there, there's four Greek words that are used for love. Uh, there's actually several more, but there's just four used in the Bible. Uh, the first one is eros, right? Uh, that, that's a sexual passion. There's phileo, which is like your friendship love. Right? Then there's storge, which is a family love. And then there's a, agape love. And that's the type of love that God has. The Bible says it's the type that he shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit in Romans 5. But that type of love is his in spite of love. It's not because of anything that you've done. 
It's in spite of everything that you've done. And that's the type of God, love that God has. So that we, we can say this. Uh, there is nothing you could do to make God love you less. Because it's in spite of you. Because God is love. And there, there, there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. There's really nothing you could even do to make him love you more. And he demonstrated that love in Christ. Now, Colossians chapter 2 says, For you being dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, having taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. I, I, I had him. Oh, guys, can you get, I had him put a cross up today. Right? You say, but it's, but it's Christmas. Yeah, but the reason for Christmas is the cross. And, and, and here's what's interesting. Jesus really, he didn't go to the cross. He went through the cross. Because what, what Jesus was looking at was on the other side of the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he was looking to the joy that was set before him. And he despised the shame, everything that was going to happen on the cross. He wasn't going to the cross. He was going through the cross. And then in, in Hebrews 2, it says that through death, he wasn't going to death. He was going through it. And that's the good news for every Christian. You're not going to death. You're going through death. It's not your destination. It's just something you're going to pass through. I have a, a, a friend who, who just in the last few days uh, went through death. When I think about my friend, I don't think about his body sitting in a casket. When I think about my friend, I think about him in God's presence, right in front of Jesus, fullness of joy, dancing. Because he wasn't going to death, he was going through death. So what happened at the cross? Well, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus went up on the cross. They put nails in his hands, in his feet, when he died, a soldier came and put a spear in his side. And that's what you see when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there are letters in the Bible which are written to different churches. And in those letters, we see something completely different. We don't see what man saw. We see the crucifixion from God's eyes. The, the difference, and I've used this example before, but if you take your, your iPhone out or your Android, whatever you have, and you take a picture of my foot, you will see my, my, my handsome boots. Right? You'll see my blue jeans. Right? That's all you'll see. But if you take an x-ray picture, how many know the picture is going to be completely different? Same foot, totally different. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, took an, you got your iPhone out and took a picture. But in the epistles, you see what God saw. You see what happened, literally, what happened in the spiritual realm. 
And the Bible says that at the cross, the handwriting of requirements that was against you. Now, you remember this. Moses has taken the children of Israel out of Egypt. They get to the mountain. Moses goes up on the mountain, spends time with God. And God takes his hand and he writes the commandments. Now, somebody says 10. Well, they're there, but there are actually 613 of them, by the way. And, and, And just curious again, is there anybody here who ever broke any of the 10? All right, good. Now, those requirements that were against you, that were contrary to us, he, God, has taken out of the way. And he nailed it to the cross. Now, when Jesus stood in front of Pilate, Pilate finally condemns Jesus. He says, I find no fault, but he condemns him. And then he writes in three languages, Jesus, king of the Jews. And they took it and they put it right above where Jesus' head was going to be. And basically, here's what Pilate was saying. His crime is that he was the king of the Jews. And we can only have one king, and that's Caesar. But the Bible tells us that God went down, and in the spirit realm, God had a list of all the things that you did wrong, all the things that they did wrong. Every one of his requirements that he wrote on those tablets that Moses came down with, You remember Moses was coming down and he saw that that the people were worshiping a a golden calf and that they had lost control. And I think it's interesting, before he ever got down to the bottom of the hill with the Ten Commandments, he threw them down and broke them because they'd broken them all. But God took that list and he went down in the spirit realm and he nailed it to the cross. Every one of those requirements, every one of those rules, every one of those laws that you and I have broken, God nailed it to the cross and said, this is why Jesus is dying. It's not king of the Jews. That may be Pilate's, what Pilate is thinking. But God said, what I see is I see my son on this cross representing every person And I'm taking every sin that any person has ever done, and I'm nailing that to the cross. And he is taking it out of the way. He is paying the penalty for every sin. Now, the result, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, that's Satan and demons. It said, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it in the cross. That's the best news that anybody's ever going to hear. That Jesus has taken sin out of the way. That your sins are forgiven you. That God in Christ restored you to the place where Jesus can take your hand and put it in God's hand. That you can be reconciled. Hey, one more thought. Why Christmas? Christmas, Jesus came so that the kingdom of God could come.
Jesus showed up, Mark chapter one, verse 14, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is available. The kingdom is for you now. Jesus taught us to pray and say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the New Testament, 162 times, 129 of them in the Gospels, talks about the kingdom of God. In uh, Acts chapter 1, and it begins the former account I made, O Theophilus. And by the way, Luke is writing this. Now, many people believe that Luke was one of the, the uh, 12 disciples. He was not. He's a doctor, and he's traveling with the apostle Paul, all right? And uh, he wrote not only Acts, but also the gospel of Luke. Um, and, and it's a miracle we have them in our, tell me, you know, you can't read any doctor's writing. But we've got the two books that he, that he wrote, all right? And he wrote them to Theophilus. Now, some people believe that Theophilus was a fellow physician. But the word Theophilus, what it means, the name means friend of God. I personally believe that it wasn't just a person. It was being written to every Christian who is a friend of God. And Jesus, he says, is with his disciples for 40 days and he speaks to them of things pertaining to the kingdom. For 40 days, he talked to them about one thing, the kingdom of God. They go out and preach. And uh, Acts 8, verse 12, it says that as Philip preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. The last part of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is, is in Rome. He's waiting to go before Caesar. And it says, preaching the kingdom of God in the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. What was his subject? The kingdom of God. Again, in Acts 19, persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Luke 22, Jesus said, bestow I, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. Romans 14, 7, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In 1 Thessalonians 2, that you would walk worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom. His own kingdom. Now listen, what we typically think about Christianity in Western culture, right? we think that Christianity is about getting you to heaven. That's what we think. But that is not at all what Jesus taught. And it's not what the disciples taught. Right? What Jesus taught and the disciples taught was what Christianity is, is it's a kingdom. Right? And that kingdom is to get in you now. It's for now. How long does it last? Forever. But we just keep on thinking it's just about when I die. But it's not about when you die. It is about when you die, but it's not. You understand that, right? Because the kingdom is now. The kingdom's coming, but the kingdom is now. 
And the kingdom is God's will being done in you and through you in the earth. That's the kingdom. We tend to think, well, everything's just going to happen someday when I get to heaven. But no, 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 it's now. Let me close. Oh, I should have brought mine out. But uh, I want to give you a little quote from the translator's New Testament. Uh, by the way, the translator's New Testament, was, if, if you moved to South America and, and you went into the jungles of Brazil and, and you found a tribe no one had ever reached and you learned their language and you were going to translate the Bible into their language, this is, is one of the helps that you're given is a translator's New Testament. It gives special notes for translators. And when it comes to the, the, the term eternal life and life, This is what it says. It says, in the New Testament, eternal life is that kind of life which is given to every believer in Christ. The word eternal, this is important, draws attention to the quality of that life, not its duration in a temporal sense. In other words, when the Bible says eternal life, it's not talking about how long it lasts. How long does it last, Pastor? Forever. But the word eternal there is not talking about time. The word eternal there is talking about quality because it comes from the eternal one. It's the same life that God has in himself. Thus, eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to the temporal conditions of earthly life. Translators should be careful to avoid expressions which mean no more than a timeless continuation of life after death. See, in Western culture, so often what we think Christianity is and eternal life is, is just we're going to live someplace else forever. But the Bible says we need to be careful because eternal life does not begin when you die. It begins the moment you receive Jesus. He puts that down on the inside of you. And the kingdom of God does not begin when you die. You enter the kingdom the moment you receive Jesus and give him your heart and your life. I want to thank you for being with us today. And you know, the Bible says this. It says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. So many people, they believe in God. They believe Jesus arose from the dead, but they don't know that they have everlasting life. If you're not sure you're forgiven right with God on your way to heaven, you're not where you should be with God. Now, in Romans 10, the Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And right before it, it gives us really the way to call on the name of the Lord. It says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to lead you right now in a prayer to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. If you're away from God, you're not right with God, you don't know where you stand with God, this is for you. So I'm going to invite you, pray this prayer. I want you to repeat these words out loud from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins, and I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to live for him. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer and you were right with God. You're on your way to heaven. Now, I wrote a book to help you keep on growing spiritually. All the information is right there on your screen. You can download that book for free. Or if you need a hard copy, contact us and we'll send it to you free of charge. Thank you so much for being with us. We love you. We pray for you. God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life, and we're so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have a copy mailed to you. Download it instantly or check out our new audiobook. You can also find all these things on our app. This book is absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. We know there are so many ways to give during the holiday season, but if Walking by Faith has been a blessing to you, we'd like to give you a special opportunity to give back and help us change lives with the truth of God's Word all around the world. To give back, you can donate at walkingbyfaith.tv give or click on the Give tab on our app. Please take a moment to make a year-end gift. 100% of your gift will be used to spread the gospel all around the world. Thank you for your support now and throughout the year. We would love to connect with you. Here at Walking by Faith, we believe in the power of prayer. We have people standing by ready to pray with you. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv to chat with someone today. We pray that you take hold of the kingdom of God and begin to live in heaven here on earth. We'll see you next week.